Raspberry Bismarck, written by Matthew Wayne, performed by Douglas Dorda. For my family. 1999, the aurora flexed over Lake Michigan, ribbons of teal and purple and blue smoke blown into the night sky by some faraway gathering of giant things. The bands flexed down over the water and kissed the humid surface with their dusty lips. They curled upward again, ever upward and over the shoreline where they slowed and gathered and stayed a while. In Crouch County, there was no piece of sky that was not littered with that cosmic smoke. Below, Oliver Sizemore, sheriff like his father and his father before, slept in the same A-framed house he once wet the bed in, only now down the hall and next to his wife of twelve short years. Unlike the men before him, he saw to a daughter, the next sheriff, who was down the hall and gazing out her window with the colorful haze when she should have been asleep. The dispatch radio on Oliver's bedside chimed half a tone before it failed with a low, magnetic, and warbling sound. Casey heard from down the hall, but the colorful bands kept her mind busy. The phone at Velma's bedside rang through with an unusual, dusty sound. She wondered, as she was rolling over, if it might be time to replace it. She remembered the day they bought it, no more than two years before, when they moved to Crouch and Oliver's childhood home. Not a long life for anything but a hamster. That was the way of things anymore. Made to break. A second dust-coated ring came through. Ollie, Velma moaned. You want to go again? Ollie mumbled and smiled and put his arm around her. Came a third broken chime. It's not that, she chuckled. Damn phone's going. Get it. Ollie covered his head with a loose pillow. It's for you she said and laughed through her nose. It's your mom or something. Dispatch had used the radio. Ollie insisted in muffled tones. A fourth decomposed chime broke the laughter between them. Hello? Sure, Alice, I'll get him. She set the phone against her breast and looked sidelong at her husband. She wrenched a diagonal smile. Ollie, you won't believe this. It's for you. That's a fresh shirt, Velma called. So don't you go forgetting the lobster matches. Ollie smiled and stalled on the porch until Velma joined him. Come on, baby, he said. I never leave home without them. That's because I never let you, Vel smiled. Well, I got him, Ollie said, pressing his hand to his shirt pocket and giving it a shake. Scout's honor. And that's a lot of color in the sky. Keep your head up. It's nothing, Ollie said. Just typical work. At three in the morning, no less? Come home, Ollie. That's all I ask. Velma turned on the covered porch and made her way back inside. Ollie watched her go, as always, and turned for the county vehicle waiting in his driveway. Morning, boss, Deputy Porter chirped as soon as the truck window was low enough for every damn thing that made up the world outside the department truck to hear him. He frowned. I guess this ain't the day. Too early for your guessing games, Hank. So why don't we skip to the part where you give up and tell me what's on your mind? Ollie moved a cardboard bakery box to the small middle seat of the department truck and buckled into his seat. Shit, boss, Deputy Porter laughed. Well? Well, I thought maybe the multiple corroborated reports of a monster might do it. Do what? And there's no monster. Some out-of-towner drowned out at the dunes. Happens all the time. 
Sad enough without the bullshit. Reports said the bastard went for a swim in the shallows and then walked out of the water a hundred feet before falling to his knees, all choking and grabbing at his throat. Wouldn't be the first to drown in the shallows and run out on shore. What about them folks who said something came out of his mouth and then wrapped itself around his throat? Two folks you and I both know to be perfectly sane. My brother Paul is hardly perfectly sane. Sure. Deputy Porter laughed while the truck bounced through the potted section of M87. Whatever you want to say about your brother, he ain't the type to report anything at all. Fucking tentacles strangling a man? Language, Hank. I don't care if he and Zelda were out there smoking a joint or what. She saw it too, you know. She sane enough for you anyway? Most times. Like I already said, and you can see in my report... Mary Chambers and a few other folks who weren't close enough to try to help the poor guy before he collapsed into the sand all say they saw something. Just can't be sure what. Mary Chambers certainly never told a lie in her life. Hank nodded. Colors in the sky made tintypes of the world ahead. Oaks and pines and power lines cast against the black. Anyway, I just thought that might be enough for you to bring your 38 special and maybe some of the 357 slugs in your junk drawer. Jesus, Hank, Ollie started. We're headed to the morgue. You suspect Doc Branson will be upset when he sees there's only eight donuts in that box and look to shut your trap for good? Both men laughed. What part of looking at a corpse requires that I carry my service revolver? Ollie was the last sheriff in Michigan who didn't carry a gun save for the shotgun in every truck. The last one left who showed up to investigate a crime or execute a warrant armed with nothing but a badge. When he was a deputy, just a few years earlier, he carried a pistol everywhere. His father would have said that deputies needed pistols, and that a sheriff needed respect generated from some other source, or the guts to step down and let someone else lead. Some old west bullshit that his grandfather had probably told him. Sheriff of Crouch County had somehow become a family business. Ollie hoped to keep Casey out of it. And don't start about the damn tentacles, Ollie said. Or what Paul said about him, I don't know, retreating back inside that poor bastard when he got close enough to touch him, or any of that pothead talk. There's no squid in Lake Michigan. The truck hove on. The sun had only just begun to bleach the blackest hues from the night sky. Bands of color genuflected and nearly touched the pavement where the road disappeared ahead. Still, I remember when we were kids, your old man didn't want us anywhere near the big water when you could see the lights. Can't remember the last time they were like this. Looks almost... vicious. You don't know half of the crazy shit he believed, especially near the end. Just would go on and on about thin places and shit in the sky. Ollie waved a defeated hand to no one, or possibly someone unknown, even to him. It's sad. I know you loved him too, but it's all just... Just enjoy the drive, Henry. The riders drove on. The engine hummed. The woods gave on to soy fields, and the fields merged with the road, and the road disappeared into the country night. Crouch came into view ahead. The scattered town lights stood no chance against the resident dark or the visiting colors. They only succeeded in adding a strange yellow to the mosaic. 
The Crouch County morgue was moved to a building in the same complex as the county court and sheriff's department when nearby St. Bonnie's repurposed their basement. Aside from the renovated building, the county complex was modest. Around the corner was a half-busted convenience store that stocked day-old baked goods from DeVries Bakery. Deputy Porter had been there already this morning. DeVries itself was only a few blocks away on the other side of the village of Crouch in a strip with an ice cream parlor and a used bookstore, both entirely divorced from the local economy and shuttered for the off-season. Doc Branson's Cadillac Eldorado was already out front when Sheriff and Deputy pulled in. It's about time, Branson shouted over the sound of the faucet. The morgue was bright. A fluorescent light fixture took up a near quarter of the ceiling. Doc Branson had insisted he needed it at every council meeting for months leading up to renovation. The massive bulbs were constantly on the fritz, blinking on and off at random after they'd been on a few hours. They would do that until you turned them off for just as long. The sheriff had trouble believing the malady came down to anything more than the doc's own allergies toward work and motion. Stainless cutting tools were laid out neat on a steel table. Ollie closed his eyes to fight off the shutter building steam at the base of his spine. Branson came around the corner, licking the corners of his mouth. His scrubs hung open over a stained white shirt with blue and red letters. Angler, 98. Fun's about to start, Branson said. He winked over at Hank and cracked his knuckles. There's many things a man can keep secret, but the sheriff had failed to keep his distaste for blood a private matter. The same went for his distaste for the doc. Just get on with it, doc, Hank said with a glance sideways at Ollie and then down to the box of donuts in his hand. He furrowed his brow and shook his head. Is that for me? Branson motioned toward the DeVries box in Deputy Porter's hands and then to a nearby counter. Put him over there. Branson rolled across the tile floor on his stool to the gurney, looking like a child. Overweight and sloven, and yet to realize that the eyes watching had not the patience of his mother. I'm thinking, Branson said, pulling on blue exam gloves, that our boy drowned. What you say, Sheriff? Shall we? He spun his stool away from the lawman and leaned closer to the corpse. Vincent Toscani, according to the tag on his toe. I hate to do this to you, Sheriff, lovely as you are and all, but there's only one way to be sure. Branson braced either side of Toscani's chest and pushed down with all the force his massive frame could muster. Toscani's chest cracked and settled with the slumping sound of an axe through waterlogged firewood. Foamy white spew flowed from dead Vincent's nose and mouth. The foam drifted down the side of his cheeks and pooled on the gurney in front of Dr. Branson. Yeah, that's about right, Branson said and breathed heavy with regret. I probably don't have to cut this fellow open. Foam poured from the dead mouth without assistance or audience. Sad as I know that makes you, Sheriff, Branson chuckled and wiped his nose with his sleeve. The white foam continued to pool on the steel gurney, small bubbles like tapioca pearls popping and merging as it went. Sheriff Sizemore was just about to look away when the white foam turned to pink. Wait a minute, Branson chuckled. The corpse's secretions thickened and ran. The pink bubbles grew smaller and clustered closer together as they darkened, pink to crimson, 
until the bubbles gave way to a steady flow of crimson syrup that ran thick and then thin again from dead Vincent's lips. That, Doc Branson chirped, that calls for a bone saw. A satisfied smile broke over Doc's face. Hank reached for one of the remaining donuts when the grinding of metal through bone ceased. Ollie managed to hold back his vomit through the moist report of Mr. Toscani's breastbone cracking open, but lost some when the corpse's weakened flesh tore to the navel. The drowned man looked like the lobster Velma ordered on their honeymoon in Maine, silver platter and all. He couldn't make it past the smell. Drowned dead, stale water, old, impossibly old and rotten for a body just hours old. The sheriff vomited into a wastebasket. Doc Branson chuckled to his left, then turned away from Vince's body to admire his accomplishments. Come on, sheriff, that's a new can, he chided. Damn, this is some goddamn smell coming off this floater. How long was he under? Not long. Hank choked and covered his mouth. Actually died on the sand. Come again? Branson asked, rummaging through his tools. Tell me from the top. A bunch of folks were on the beach to watch the lights, Hank continued. And this fella felt compelled to go for a night swim, I guess, like a lot of these out-of-town types. After just a few minutes, he came up grabbing at his throat, walked up onto the beach and died right there on the sand in front of Paul and Zelda Sizemore. Wouldn't be the first unlucky sucker. Branson turned completely in his stool, away from the bloody ribs pointing to the sky like so many legs, speaking as though the dead man were not there at all. Something behind the medical examiner shifted. Ollie saw it. A two-pink intestine that moved all on its own. Christmas, Ollie said. Doc, you might want to turn around. He gestured to the body on the gurney. Branson wrinkled his brow, looked to Hank, rolled his eyes, and turned back to the drowned man on his table. If you're going to replace your dad, Doc started casually enough. Doc! Something fleshy, pink, and prehensile shot up from between the drowned man's intestines and kept rising from the dead cavity long after the men thought it should stop. The strange invader dripped Vincent's bodily slime to the tile floor below. You're gonna have to work on this squeamishness, ah. The tentacle bent in all directions on its determined journey past Branson's lips and teeth and into his mouth. The doc struggled with the slippery thing while it wriggled through his panic-stricken hands and down his throat. And still, the arm kept coming out of Toscani. No sign of where the pink thing began or what it was attached to in the guts of what used to be a man or when Branson would be permitted by the invader to relax his jaw. Branson's eyes darted and crossed behind his thick glasses as the tentacle probed. Hank, Sheriff Sizemore shouted. Hank, shoot it! But the sheriff's childhood friend was frozen stupid, mouth open. Seeded raspberry filling dripped from the powdered donut in his hand. Two smaller sprouts emerged from the bloody mess and danced out toward Branson. The moist limbs cradled and then pushed past the doctor's glasses. They wormed through his tear ducts and made a home behind his eyes. The limb in Branson's throat jostled some, and the doctor danced on the slick tile. Then the totality of the terror shot out of the drowned man's rotting cavity. As it came forward, bones cracked and broke in the place it left behind. 
The corpse's liver and small intestines were fused to the tail end of the invader. Along its side was a human ear, but wrong-angled, as though drawn by a blind man. In a final lurching move, the mass buried itself entirely in the mouth of the doctor in front of them. Branson's hairy neck bulged in irregular shapes as the thing made its way down. Blood trickled from behind Branson's eyes in four small streams that gave way to rivers that flowed to cover the doctor's unshaven cheeks. Then the wet ripping sound of displaced retina as Branson's eyes emerged from his skull on little tendrils and danced around above his head. Deputy Porter's half-eaten donut dipped again, adding further crimson to the green and white tile floor. The thing that had once been Doc Branson shifted in Hank Porter's direction like a newborn foal, legs not quite its own. Looking like two men in a horse suit, Doc lunged for Deputy Porter, still frozen there with his donut. Hank, damn it, Hank, Ollie shouted, his own joints like concrete. He strained against them. The Branson thing lunged again, now just one laborious move from Hank Porter. Deputy... Branson's bloated body tensed again. Ollie lunged too and knocked his partner to the floor. He scrambled through the jellied gore and made for the 45 on Porter's right hip. He had barely touched his thumb to the safety on his partner's pistol when it slipped from his hands and hit the slime-covered floor with a slide. Ollie dove for the pistol and for his life. Branson turned one of the eyes that danced above his head toward the sheriff on the ground and made for the lawman. After two dragging steps, the Branson thing stopped dead and yowled as a beak tore through the doctor's shirt at the navel. The beak snapped at excess flaps of Branson's flesh, making room for its awful hissing reveal. Ollie could only stare. Sheriff Sizemore thought of his wife and daughter, still asleep in their home, where there's nothing in the lake. He thought of his cousin Paul. There's nothing in the lake. Nothing in the lake. He felt the cold gun in his hand and heard bones cracking. A bloated foot came toward him, sprouting eyes as it came, like an old potato. Ollie shot three times, the cold gun jumping in his hands at first, but settling as the memory returned to his muscles. One round tore through Branson's head and two through his chest, where Ollie thought the thing's head might be, somewhere above that awful beak. The creature still came forward, snapping what was left of Branson's arms at the elbow and loosing bloody ringlets from the beak as it came. The sheriff fired and fired again. Each little bullet punched new holes in the Branson thing. New holes that were filled by new sprouts just as soon as they were ripped. New sprouts that danced out toward him and reached for the fluorescent lights above. Branson's other sprout-covered foot lurched. Two shots left, Hank. Ollie shouted to his partner, stiff on the floor. Then we're next. Hank, get up and run, you dumb mother... The next shot tore through the place where Branson's left eye used to be and hit a jar of chemicals a shelf behind the Branson thing. Ollie's nostrils stung, even through the waterlogged rot. He scrambled for Hank, driven halfway back to consciousness by the acrid smells, and stood him slack-jawed against the wall beside him. You better hope this works. Sheriff Sizemore shouted and then turned back to what was left of Doc Branson. He cursed himself and fired the last shot. Not at Branson, but at the light fixture above them. The metal casing full of bulbs and mirrors dropped from the ceiling and instead of crashing down on Branson, dangled harmlessly above the chemical-soaked floor. 
Branson continued forward like a slug, but still moving toward Porter and Sizemore. Little sprouts reaching from every tear in the doctor's weakened skin. The dangling fixture slipped toward the floor with a loud grind, metal on metal, and rested just inches above the liquid that Ollie hoped was flammable. Ollie felt slippery sprouts threaten his toes through the skin of his leather boots and kick the persistent tendrils away with everything he had. He looked at Hank. All 230 pounds of him stood helpless and drooling against the doorway, half a donut still clutched in his lockjaw hand. Ollie kicked again at the tentacles crawling toward him across the floor, sure he would never see home again. And then it slipped from his pocket. The matchbook. He frantically tore the matches away from the book in one cardboard clump. Tendrils tightened on his pant leg. He struck the magic strip with the floppy mass of match heads again and again and again, but all went flaccid. The matchbook's spine wicked a continuous supply of slime and blood from his hands as he went, the resistance all but gone from the cardboard matchsticks. Strike, snap. Strike, snap. Ollie wouldn't have long until every last match in the book was a pulpy mess of wet cardboard and clumped phosphorus in his hands. He thought of home, Velma and Casey, and all the cats he pretended not to like but snuck nips of butter and small pinches of cheese when no one was looking. Strike, strike, strike. A massive ball of fire in his hand. Ollie threw the flaming matchbook and prayed it wouldn't blow out in the acrid atmosphere along the way. The floor caught fire, blue at first and then orange and yellow and red as it spread over the trail of chemicals toward Doc Branson and the rest of them. The Branson thing screamed from both mouths when the fire took him. A human yowl from the mouth Branson shoved full from minute to minute, and something else entirely from the beak that had eaten its way out of his belly. The animal shriek froze Ollie in boiled terror. The morgue was burning all around him, and he couldn't think of any goddamn thing but that howl. Part bird and part goat. Little explosions of glass and chemicals hit the Branson thing's skin and ate through the spud eyes and sprouts in diminutive waves of fire and acid. The beast howled again. Fire spread to the walls around them. Hank stood in the middle of it all, still frozen stiff. The jelly donut still teetered on the edge of his open hand. Fire crept toward them. Branson, now some horrible amalgam of man, beast, and Roman candle, stumbled toward them. Tentacles and spuds burned and shivered and new growth took their empty places, pushing from Branson's pores and follicles and the spaces between teeth only to wither and char and be replaced by themselves. Ollie spun on the floor and pushed himself up off the ground, slipping a little in the slime. Deputy. He grabbed his friend by the shoulders and shook. Hank. Sheriff Sizemore saw the deputy's eyes come back from wherever they had been and then go wide. I can't lift your big ass, Hank. Go! More glass exploded behind them. Ollie pushed his partner through the morgue door, past Branson's Eldorado, behind the department truck, and down to the asphalt. Hank! Ollie shook the man's shoulders, but the deputy registered nothing. He only whispered to himself in shock. Ollie couldn't make out the words. Hank, are you in there or not? The sheriff wasn't sure. Damn it, just stay here. Ollie moved back around the front of Hank's cruiser. 
The terrible scream came again from the burning wreck, and Ollie had to fight a swelling urge to box his own ears. Get to the radio. Get the cavalry. Vel. Casey. The scream came again as his sweaty fingers slipped from the door handle and jammed on his palm. Ah, oh, damn it. Fu this is Sheriff Sizemore, he barked into the radio. I'm at the county complex. I need the fire. I... The sheetrock walls around the morgue collapsed. Ollie watched the last charred bits of the Branson thing writhe and ooze in the flames until it was a still and burning ember. Sheriff? Come in, boss. Just, just send everyone. Ollie made his way back behind the truck to check on his shell-shocked partner. Hank looked up at him, raspberry Bismarck in hand. What the hell was that? He asked and raised the drippy donut to his face. The End This has been Raspberry Bismarck, written by Matthew Wayne, performed by Douglas Dorda.